0: Cheer for them every week. We love our kids, their destiny. They're not just going into child care. Come on, they're going in to have their own God encounters. You don't have to cross a certain threshold or a certain age to meet with God. You can do it at any age. Come on. John the Baptist leapt in the womb of his mother when he came into the presence of Christ, and we believe that for all of our children just as much. So, hey, a couple of things before we get into the the message tonight. So, Carly Ford is going to South Korea for a year. She is the daughter of Pastor David Ford of Newtown Methodist in Williamsburg, who I've just started to get to know. A great man of God who's been doing ministry there in that city uh, for many years. And so she's going to be going there uh, teaching English, but doing some missions work as well, which is part of that plan. And uh, so we're going to give the giveaway to her tonight. We're not giving out food gift cards tonight because we're fasting because that would just be tempting. so we have an itunes gift card so you can download some of your favorite songs for that long plane ride so can we pray for carly just father we just lift carly up to you god we know that you have divine encounters waiting for her in that country that they are going to be people that come to know you jesus because of her witness that you are going to give her the words to say, Father, that as she begins to invest in that language, that you're going to quicken her mind to absorb everything that she needs to do, Father. We pray for all of those students that are going to be in her classroom, Father, that just the, the, the presence of your Holy Spirit upon her life is going to bring revelation to people, Father. We pray for traveling mercies. We pray for protection, Father, and we pray for all of her friends and loved ones who are letting this relationship uh, go for a year God and we pray that you would keep their hearts especially her parents in Jesus' name come on and everybody said together amen hey, I got a couple other things I want to do before we get into the sermon you know um Don Agate if you know Chandler and Celeste Celeste is our uh, worship leader oversees all of our worship ministry her husband Chandler uh, his dad had a massive heart attack this morning in Williamsburg he's doing okay and uh, But uh, uh, Celeste was just telling me that when they were at the hospital, when we got there to, to sit with them and pray with them for the, for the afternoon, she was just recounting some of their experience. and and she said, when they uh, were able to talk to the doctor, he showed them some video footage of when they were doing the heart catheterization, and they, they broke through. he had a complete blockage in that one artery they called the widowmaker, you know that if you, uh, if you have a heart attack with that artery, you, you, your survival rate is not very high. And, and praise the Lord, he had his once he got there. He was not feeling well, so he got to the hospital, and he had his heart attack right there uh, in the hospital. And so uh, uh, she said it was amazing. So they have this video footage. There's a complete blockage in this artery. And so all of these blood vessels surrounding it are just lifeless and empty. And and so they had the footage when when they were able to break through with the angioplasty. and, and, And they expand that balloon inside that artery. And she said all of a sudden blood just rushed into all these parts of his body, these blood vessels. You could see it on the video monitor. It's just parts of his body just came alive that we're dead, and we were just all talking about it. and all of us, as she's telling the story, we're like, what an incredible picture of us and our spiritual journey when we take our first spiritual breath that there's these moments where Jesus talks about being born again in John chapter 3. For all of us at some point in our lives, and if you haven't, come on, you can do it tonight, that, that you can bend your knee and embrace Christ and become a follower, of, not just a believer but a follower. And it says that when we do that, when we, make, we call it a vow of devotion at the City Life Church. It says that, that the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. And I'm telling you, what they saw on that monitor can take place inside of you. There will, part, there will be parts of you that just come alive for the very first time. And so, Father, we just pray for anybody here tonight who, when they look out into their story, they can't find a moment, oh God, where they've made a vow of devotion to you. They've never taken their first spiritual breath. There's parts of who they are that's not yet born, even though they're fully functioning physically, fully functioning emotionally, fully functioning intellectually, oh God, that there's a spiritual part of them that has yet to come to life. And may it be, O oh God, that at some point in this service, Jesus, that they're going to embrace you. And they're going to take their first spiritual breath. And something inside of them is just going to come alive. As it says here, O oh God, in Ezekiel, we just read this verse as a prayer. Ezekiel 36, it says, For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries, and I will bring you into your own land, which is this idea of being far from God and then being near to him. It says, I will also sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. This idea of dealing with the shame of our past. Then it says, I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and all of your idols, setting aside all those things that we create as idolatry before God. And listen to what it says in verse 26. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will remove your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Father, for everybody here tonight who has a heart of stone towards you, Father, that you would soften them, oh God, and you would breathe upon them the Ruach HaKodesh in the Hebrew, the breath of heaven in Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody said Amen. amen. All right, I have one more. Come on, one more. Is Rose in here? There she is right there. Rose grew up. I know. Church is a participatory sport here at the City Life Church. So just during worship, I just felt like God wanted to share with you that, uh, that your life is a sweet smelling fragrance to Him. 2 Corinthians, uh, I believe it's in the second chapter in the 15th verse. If that's not right, I'll, I'll get the right one. But it talks about the fragrance of Christ inside of us going out into the world. And you grew up in the Greek Orthodox Church, is that right? And so during worship, I just had, I don't know if they did it in the church that you grew up in, but a lot of times they have the incense that they swing back and forth that's supposed to be symbolic of this idea of our prayers and our worship just at being a sweet smelling fragrance that rises up to God and the, just the imagery of that even the smell of that if you've ever been in a service like that it's, it's so impactful and, uh, and I just had this image that God was saying that's you this newfound passion that you have for him that you're like that that incense that's just swinging in the world and just it's rising up before him and it's helping other people to find their path to him and so let's, can we pray for Rose too? Father we just lift Rose up to you today for this word that you're speaking over her life and we know God that there are people all around her that need to discover this passion that she has for you, and we say, let it be the embers of her life, just like the embers in that incense container, that they're just going to burn hotter and brighter than they ever have before, and that her world is going to be filled with the fragrance of Christ in Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody said together, "Amen, Amen." Amen. Well, we were going to do a launch into a series tonight. We're kind of putting that on hold. I talked with a governance team. It just felt like the Lord was speaking to my heart just about casting some vision tonight about some things we believe as a church. And Isn't it crazy that only crazy people have manifestos? You ever notice that? You know, you hear, he has a manif- we found his manifesto. Yeah. But that's a great word. It's this idea of the things that you believe, things that you embrace, things that you hold as, as true, that are just non-negotiable. And we, we, As Christians, we should have a manifesto. Churches should have a manifesto, things that we believe, core convictions about who we are. And so I want to share with you, if the City Life Church were to write a manifesto, not because we're crazy, but because we're impassioned for Christ, come on, you're going to leave here, how was church? The pastor was talking about some manifesto. I think it might be a cult. No. Come on. We want to share with you some things tonight that are just we're passionate about as devoted followers of Christ and as a congregation that's getting ready to celebrate our six-year anniversary. So let's, um, let's do this. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 13, verse 52. And while you're doing that, I'm going to read that in a few different translations. But we're going to unpack this parable tonight. But just to kind of get us thinking along the right direction, what are some things in your house that make your house unique what are some things that that you have in your house that if if I were to come in there or somebody else were to visit it would be you it makes you kind of who you are April things brought from other countries, from other countries. yes that's it Tyler head the head of Constantine like a little statue or a bust of Constantine nice some church history they're saying no it's really big it's not small yeah 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 Nick your lightsaber, yes, we've seen that lightsaber. Yes, indeed. Have a, lot of antiques. a lot of antiques, yes, you do. And a new kitchen table that's just wonderful. I know, come on. Somebody else, Sandy. We have hidden, scriptures on our stud walls. hidden, so when the house was being built, you all put scriptures on the stud wall. So, see, none of us are, we might as well just stop now because nobody's going to be able to beat that. Sabra. Oh, I have that too, of all. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we have tons of sports paraphernalia all over Yeah. Yep, sports memorabilia, all the different teams you root for. All right, come on, Hannah. A dictionary collection? Nice, come on. We like a vocabulary. Yes, ma'am. Seven kids, Seven kids. yes. And, you're, and you in the line of all those kids are what? You're the oldest. Yes, come on. Somebody else. Somebody over here in the high school section. Something about your house. Catherine. The family that you have in it, come on, that's a good ant You know what? I put this in my, this is another $10 gift card. It's one of my favorite ones so far. That's my last giveaway, so everybody else, you're just doing it for participation's sake. Somebody else, over here, Laura. Rusty, your metal dog, which is our favorite kind of pet as well. Yeah, yes, it doesn't cost you a thing. Dustin. Yep, military awards, honors. A spiral staircase. Very good. All right, middle section, Sharon. A, they do have a backyard oasis. We call it the, the Richack Resort. Her husband also makes the best grilled hamburger I've ever had in my whole entire life. Anybody ever had a Richack burger here at the City Life Church? I know. Just bread and hamburger. You don't need to put a thing on it. April. You're, yes, your music. Yes. So, So I'm asking that question because there should be something inside of us that says... If God has a house, which we use as a term for church, there should be some things about it that make it recognizable. We, there should be some things about it when we're there that we should say, this is the house of God because, and fill in the blank. And I believe that when Jesus was teaching this parable in Matthew chapter 13, uh, these, are, these are some of the key pieces some key distinctives that jesus is saying if you're going to call what you have a church if you're going to call it the house of god make sure that these things are present so i'm going to read it in three different that uh translations three different renderings the first one is the new american standard then i'm going to do amplified and then i'm going to do new living translation but the nesb says and these notes are all on the website or they will be uh, early next week if you want to get them and download them So if you're taking notes and I'm moving through, you don't feel like you have to keep up. It says, and Jesus said to them, therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings out his treasures, things new and old. That's the New American Standard Bible. It's a a great literal translation. And then the Amplified says, and he said to them, therefore, every teacher and interpreter of sacred writings, who has been instructed about and trained for the kingdom of heaven and has become a disciple is like a householder who brings out of his storehouse treasures that are new and treasures that are old. And the last one, the New Living Translation, which is a favorite of mine, it says, then he added every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner who brings from his storeroom new gems of truth As well as old. And I believe right here in this parable, Jesus gives us four important parts of a church's manifesto. If you're gonna call yourself the house of God, make sure that you are, and the first one is this a house of discipleship. In all of these renderings, Jesus talks about this idea of going from a scribe to a disciple. This idea of being someone who has knowledge about the Word of God to being someone whose life is defined by the knowledge that they possess. And then oftentimes our own lives, I know it was for me growing up until I was 23 when I made a vow of devotion to Christ. I had a lot of knowledge about Christianity because I grew up in a Christian home, but I was not a disciple of Christ. All of the things that I knew did not define me in the way that I lived. In 2 Timothy 2, 19 and 20, Paul's writing to Timothy and he talks about this idea of God knowing who belongs to him. Now there's a sense of ownership that God has over all of creation because he's sovereign, because he created it. But then there's also this sense of people that are in relationship with him and that Christ is the only one that makes that possible and that those are people that Jesus uses the word disciple. It's a person that's in relationship with God, has a sense of being a part of the family of God, there's an affection for God, and a commitment and a desire to live a life that's pleasing to God. And for us as a church, we have six commands that we teach that Jesus gave. Now, Jesus gave lots of commands, but we believe these six are the most foundational commands. In fact, we believe, we talk about these in the, at Friday Night Live for people that are checking out the church because we want people to understand what we believe to be a disciple is all about, that every other command that Jesus gave, you can tie back to these six. Any command that you find in Scripture that Jesus gave, it's either one of these six that are foundational, or it's an offshoot or a tributary you could think of as that. The first one is this, follow me. That there has to be a moment in our lives where we make a decision to not just believe in Christ, but we become a follower of Christ. We'd like to use that word again, a vow of devotion, that there's a moment in your story. For me, it was on Laburnum Avenue in Richmond, Virginia, when I was 23 years old, and my 1984 Honda Prelude riding down the road, and I finally came to the end of myself and said, Jesus, I don't understand everything that this is going to mean, but I believe that you are the son of the living God, that you died for my sins, that you rose again, that one day you're coming back again, and I have not given you the place of governance in my life that you deserve as my Lord, and I give it to you today. That was in December of 1990. I've never looked back. It was the moment of my first spiritual breath, where what we had talked about before were those parts of me, the spiritual part of me, where God came alive inside of me. Because Jesus stood in front of me and said, Will you follow me? tendon. In Richmond, and I could not get away from the sound of his voice that I felt in my heart do you believe that I am who I say that I am what was he saying to you? he was saying will you follow me and every single person in this room you've either had a moment where Jesus has walked up to you and said will you follow me or come on he's asking you right now will you follow after him follow me is the first command. In John 1.43, we see an example. We're going to return to that portion of Scripture in just a few minutes where he says to Philip, Will you follow me? There has to be a decision. There has to be a choosing. We do not, as a church, believe in universalism, which means that when Jesus died on the cross, that all of humanity was immediately swept into the grace of God. We believe that there is a moment of choice that you and I have to make, like unto Joshua when he inherited the mantle from Moses where he said, Choose this day whom you shall serve. As for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. There's a moment of choosing that we have to step into. Now, that moment of choosing is not possible apart from the grace of God, but because of the grace of God that's been bestowed upon you, the measure of grace that we're all given at birth, that we have enough of God's grace in our life to choose him and step into that moment of surrender. The next one is this, in Mark 12, 30, when they came to ask Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So he says, follow me, and then he steps up into the world, and he said, you've got to love God. There should be something inside of us that says, I want to wake up every day knowing God as my best and closest friend. I don't want to have an intellectual connection, although that's part of it, but I want to have a heart connection. Of all the ways that he could have chosen to relate himself to us as the sovereign creator of the universe, he relates himself to us as a father. Of all the ways he could have instructed Jesus, when you teach them how to pray, he says, start it this way, our father. He's trying to help us to understand the kind of connection that there should be emotion, there should be love. So love God. The third one is this. He says, love one another. Now we pick this one up in John 15, not the same moment in the gospel of Mark where he said the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Just a few days later, he says to the disciples, a new commandment I give to you. And that terminology would have piqued their interest because he just gave them the greatest two. So now they're thinking, okay, he's going to add a third, but he doesn't add a third, he changes up the second. The first time he said, love your neighbor as yourself, which means that the degree to which you're expected to love other people is based upon the capacity you have of love for your own life. This is a, a new commandment I give. Love each other the way that I've loved you. That's a whole other kind of loving. That means every one of us, every one of us in this world, the measure of love that God asks us to have for each other, is compared to the degree to which Christ loves you and I, which is what Vanessa was just talking about when she was doing that wrap-up. Come on, and she still takes my breath away too, just for the record. Come on. We're called to love each other deeper than our humanity is able to do. And we've got to run after that together as a congregation. Come on, it's part of the manifesto. Follow me, love God, love one another. All right, and if it's not hard enough yet, Jesus steps up in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. He says at the end of kind of the intro of that Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, it's Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he says, be, I like to say it in the King James because it just sounds more daunting, be ye therefore perfect. Now, how could he say that to us? How could he, he set us up for failure what is what does that mean we we understand that to mean that you're not ever going to be perfect but you do not have permission to stay where you are we're not ever going to be perfect but we don't have permission to just settle in and stay where we are that the same power that raised Christ from the dead scripture says is inside of you and I and the grace that saves us is powerful enough to transform and change us come on The fourth, fifth one is this, Matthew, Mark sixteen, fifteen. It's also in Matthew twenty eight, the Great Commission, where Jesus says, Go into all the world the giftings and the passions. And so it's part of what Carly is doing. There should be something inside of us that's saying, God, I want to understand why I'm on this earth. I want to impact the world in the way that you designed me to impact it. We talk all about Eric Reese's book, The Shape Book, your spiritual gift, your heart desire, your natural ability, your personality, your life experiences, your shape. As you begin to see the shape that God has given to you, you begin to understand the Function that you're supposed to have in the body of Christ, that every single one of us has a contribution that we are supposed to make to the world, and we want to be a church that, that calls that out of you, helps you to see that in you, and then launch you out into areas of ministry that fit who you are. The sixth one is this. Jesus said, you will see, receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in Acts 1.8. We're going to be talking about that in the series that we're going to be spending the first part of the year and called Living in the Gap. We cannot accomplish the destinies that you and I have been given apart from the inner working of the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. God has dreamed God-sized dreams for you and I, and the only way that we're going to fulfill them is if we have a God-sized Spirit, His Holy Spirit, operating inside of us, empowering us, equipping us. Every step of the way. If you're a young adult here, or uh, a, a, I don't know all the different parameters on that's on the life group form, but we're they're, they're doing Francis Chan's book, The Forgotten God, talking about the Holy Spirit, and so we're gonna have a great time together. I'm gonna spend a couple of those sessions there in that group, just talking about what our church believes about the Holy Spirit. So here we have these six commands. Follow me, love God, love one another, be perfect, go into all the world and be filled with the Spirit. We believe that those six commands lead us into the depths of eternal life. The promise that Jesus gave to us in John 10:10 that you can have life and have it to the fullest possible measure. He doesn't want to just leave it to chance that hopefully we'll figure out how to get there. No, his commands match up with his promise. He's given us a promise of abundant life, and then he says, okay, let me tell you how to get there. And so if you want to experience what we call here at City Life, heaven on earth, there's a heaven that waits for us. We believe that you don't have to breathe your last to go there for the first time. There's a measure of heaven on earth that you can have this side of eternity that we find it by living out and pursuing these six. And in our series, we're going to be talking more about how we run after those six things. You show me a person who's a disciple of Christ. And I'll show you a person who wakes up every day of their life saying, Jesus, I want to be more devoted to you today. I want to discover a deeper affection for the Father. I want to love other people better in ways that look a lot more like how you've loved me. I don't want to be content with who I am. I want to strive and grow and be transformed. I want to grow beyond recognition. Oh, God, I I want to be a person that understands how you have shaped me. I want to invest my life to build your kingdom. I don't want to live for temporal things. And, Father, I declare today I can't do it on my own. I need your Holy Spirit that lives inside. You show me a person that's praying that, running after those six commands. I'll show you a person who is a disciple of Jesus Christ. We do not want to be a church of believers. We want to be a church of followers. We want to be a church of disciples. We want to be a church that are running after the footsteps of Jesus Christ. It's part of our manifesto. Come on. We're going to be a house of disciples. All right, the next one is this. He keeps referring to the person in the house as an owner, as an owner. Not as a renter or visitor or an occupier, but it says it's it's a house owner, it's a home owner, it's a person who owns the house. That should be a distinctive of the house of God. It should be a distinctive of church. My my inspection sticker is going to expire this month, January. So if I were at the end of the service to drop my keys over here with with Kevin Garcia and say, hey, here are the keys to my car. Just let me know how it turns out, and I hope it doesn't cost too much. You know, because I know you're a college student and everything. have a lot of disposable income, but you can just drop it back off to me next Saturday, right? He would look at me and say, you should start eating something, Pastor Fred, because these six days of this fast have seemed to affect you, right? Because he's looking at me, and he's saying, that's your car. It's not my car, right? If I'm bringing my laundry to, to, to Tyler and Emily and saying, here's my laundry. Appreciate it. These are some of the things I like. They would say, no, 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 it's your laundry, Right? We have our own laundry. We understand this idea of ownership. Ownership obligates. If it belongs to us, we're responsible for it. My children, not until they're 18, but as long as they are financially dependent upon me, they belong to me. Can I just lay that out right now? So it's on the podcast. So one day when they're hopefully listening to that, there's a record of what I'm saying. Come on, if I'm paying your bill, there's a sense of ownership as parents. We should have a sense of responsibility for our kids. If you call a church your home church, you should have a sense of ownership for that house. If, if you call the City Life Church your home church, you should not walk in every week saying, wow, well, I hope they did a good job putting this service together because I'm going to be disappointed. Right? There shouldn't be a part of you that, that when you're riding around on Saturday morning, if you call this your home church, I'm not talking to visitors, if you call this your home church, am I going to go, am I not going to go, am I going to go, I'm not. come on, it belongs to you you're responsible for it. The deposit of God that you bring with you when you come makes a difference in the lives of the people who are around you. We do our business meeting at the end of February every year. We had our greatest year of giving in the history of the City Life Church. And we believe that that's not an accident. The way that we're growing, the way that God is moving in our congregation and and that God has plans for how we're supposed to steward those monies, but there should be something inside of us that says, I don't want to come and take without giving. If I call this my home church, there should be something inside of me that says I have a sense of ownership, I have a sense of responsibility. For everybody here who has a house, you're financially responsible for that house It's the same for church. All of us who call this our home church, myself included, there should be something inside of us that says, I want to be generous in this church, not because I like the people who own it, but because it's mine and because I want to see it flourish and I'm going to take responsibility for it. If you call this your home church, it's this idea that where's a place of service that I can step into? That everybody who calls this their home church, there should be something inside of you that says, I can't wait to find my place to serve. No matter who you are, no matter what your story is, I'm telling you there is nothing about your life that would preclude you from serving in some capacity in this church. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. We have a conviction in this idea that participation is what brings transformation. We're not asking for people to have it all together before they get involved because it's the getting involved that helps them get it together. Right? If you have problems with some adult words coming out of your mouth, right? You might not be working in the nursery because we don't want you teaching those kids those words, right? But if you're working out in the parking lot on a rainy day and you're bringing a grown up in with an umbrella and you step in a mud puddle and a dam or a hell comes out of your mouth, hey, you know what? It's going to be okay. And if they don't come back because of that, then they're not going to do well here, anyways. You're tracking? You don't have to be perfect to be involved. Matthew 5, 48 tells us what we're supposed to get to, but none of us are there yet. We find a place that no matter where you are in your journey, we find a place that it's okay for you to be who you are and to serve and to give of your life to the building of God's kingdom. Everybody, everybody has a work that they can do. Come on, we're disciples, we're homeowners. Come on, two pillars in our manifesto. The next one is this it's a house of new treasures who are all my 20-day fasters in here come on a food fast of some sort come on get them up come on praise the Lord I've never fasted for 20 days I've never made it out of the early teens anybody ever doing 20 days for the first time with me yeah come on it's gonna be good house of new treasures Bring out of your storeroom new treasures. this is important. These, this last part. A lot of what we've talked about already. Uh, uh, a lot of ch- churches grasp this. It's these last two. I feel like oftentimes become a a place of of, of confrontation in churches because not distinguishing between what old treasures are and new treasures are. And he, when Jesus talks about new treasures, he's he's talking about I I believe he's talking about things that a church is passionate about that are not timeless. It's something that's a treasure to you because it's something important to you in the season that your church is in or, 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 or the, the season of life or the culture that's around you, being relevant to that culture while remaining doctrinally pure. That's when we get to the old treasures. But this idea of new treasures, things that, that you celebrate as a church, but things that you are willing to look at one day and say, that's not a treasure anymore. Every new treasure doesn't become an old treasure. Some do, but not all do. And that's oftentimes places where churches get stuck. I grew up in the Episcopal Church as a child, and my my parents experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the 1970s. There was a big revival that took place in the United States in mainline denominational churches, and and they became a part of a team that traveled around to all of these other Episcopal churches in Virginia. They were called Faith Alive Weekends that began to teach out of the the book of Acts about the idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, again, which we're going to talk about in this series that's going to be coming up, and we're going to spend some time in the first part of the year. And so... Let me just say, they had some songs that were treasures to them in the 70s. But they are not a treasure for you anymore. And so if you came in here tonight and we were singing the song, Give me oil in my lamp, keep it burning. Right? Some of you would have said, okay, it's a great visit in here, but uh, we're on our way. Right? Peter and John went one day up to the temple. Does that sound familiar to anybody in here? Come on, don't be shy. I was a little child, and I know what you're thinking. Those weren't songs that Jimmy Fallon wrote in his night show, right? These were songs that people heard them, and, it, and God moved in their life, and they made decisions for Christ. People experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit singing those songs. you tracking? The songs that we sing today are songs that mean something to us. But if we're singing the same songs, same songs today, Five years from now, something has gone terribly wrong with this church. We've lost sight of the wisdom of this parable. There are new treasures, things that we celebrate, things that we're passionate about, things that, 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 that it's hard for us to think about the City Life Church without them. There will be things on that list. If, if it's God's house, you've got to be open to change. If it's God's house, you've got to trust that there's a leadership there in place that is listening to the congregation. As you know, if you're part of our business meeting, we talk a lot about the governmental structure of this church. One of the reasons why we feel like it's never experienced any drama in this church in six years is because of how it's formed and how we're submitted to one another, how we defer to one another. There's not any one person that's just in charge, doing what they want to do all the time. It's a church that understands, you know what? There's some things that we might treasure today, but we might lay down tomorrow and pick something else up as culture and time changes. I love talking about this verse in John chapter 20 and verse 17, verse A, where, where Jesus is risen from the dead. Mary finds him in the garden. And and Mary runs after him. Now, she already knows it's Jesus. She already knows he's risen from the dead. She, she, she's already had her revelation of a risen Christ. And so as you follow the progression of the story, she runs to Jesus. All the other disciples have run back to tell the others. And it says that when she reaches for him, Jesus says, don't cling to me. Or some verses say, don't touch me. And the, and the word for touch or cling is, is the Greek word hapto. And it's not because, right, Jesus is worried about, about, about uh, Mary marring him in some way because he's, he has a heavenly body. There's different all kinds of teachings or his raiment was some angelic, you know. I don't believe any of that. I believe Jesus was saying to Mary something much. He didn't care whether or not Mary touched him physically. Come on, Jesus is greater than that. What he was saying to Mary is, Mary, you can't cling To what we've had, you've got to move forward into my ministry going forward. Because what she's thinking is, I can't imagine life without you being here. And what Jesus is trying to help her to say is, no, come on. By me going and the Holy Spirit coming, now I can be physically present in every person's life all the time, everywhere. He's trying to help Mary understand, if you thought what you've had for me these last few years has been good, oh, you just wait for what's to come. And there is a part of us we want to cling to what was yesterday. The songs we used to sing, the way that God used to manifest his presence, certain ways that maybe you grew up praying in certain kinds of churches and certain kinds of denominations. There's got to be something inside of us that lets Jesus say, not just follow me, but sometimes where Jesus says, don't cling to me, I want to move in new ways in your life. I have new ways that I'm going to speak to you, new ways that I'm going to reveal myself to the world. The next one is this, a house of old treasures. And this is also where churches get, because if you only have new treasures, then you're just a church that moves about with every wind of doctrine that comes along. A church has to have some old treasures. Treasures where we say, you know what? 50 years from now, we've handed this church off to the next generation. We might not recognize a lot of their treasures, but if we've done our job right, we're going to recognize these because they are treasures that are timeless, that never change. And you can find a whole list of those on our website, but I want to encapsulate three of them for you right now. One is the goodness of God. We believe as a church in the goodness of God. And even when our circumstances seem to deny it, We are unmoved in our conviction that God is only and always good. And when I am confused about what's happening, I do not let my confusion displace my conviction that my God loves me unconditionally. Exodus 34, 6, when Moses was saying, God, I want to see you face to face. And God says, you don't know what you're asking for. And so he hides in the cleft of the rock, and it says the glory of the Lord passed behind him. And, 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 and one of the translation renders it as, God passes by. This is what he says to Moses. I'm a, I'm a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger, rich in steadfast love and truth. Come on. Of all the things that he could have said as he passed by Moses, what was he saying? Moses, I'm always going to be good. I'm always, my goodness is eternal. It's unchanging. So when we're in a hospital with the Agate family and, and the, the patriarch of their family, they don't know whether or not he's gonna make it. We're able to look at each other and say, no matter what happens today, God is good. No matter what happens today, God is good. And he loves you. He loves you. It's got to be a non-negotiable. And what happens so often, and what happens so often for people in churches is that they get hurt by the very church that's supposed to love them. And we're just saying to you, we're making a promise, we're, we're not going to be perfect, but we're going to be safe. We're We're not going to be a church that hurts people. We're just not going to do it. It's the great picture of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when Peter cuts off Malchus's ear, the, one of the, the servants. I believe it's a, it's, a, it's a symbolic picture of what people's experience is going to be, right? Peter becomes one of the great leaders of the church. It's, to him, Jesus said, upon your confession, I'm going to build my church. That The church oftentimes we feel like is swinging a sword at us, right? And, and swipes off part of who we get injured. We're like Malchus. A lot of you here today, you might be visiting and you're, you're just contemplating maybe coming back to the church because your story of the church is a place where you've been hurt. What we're saying to you is you're not going to be hurt here. We're not perfect here. The only people that we're ever going to hurt are the people who are hurting others, right? Then don't, I don't have a lot of grace for that. You with me? The only people that, that, that are going to feel pressed by this church will be people that just... You've, you know, you've met people like this. None of you are like this, but you've met people like this. They're just mean and ornery, right? We're going to try to reach that person. We're going to try to minister to that person, but not at the expense of everybody else in the room. Not at the expense of every. All right, come on. God is always good. All right, let me read you this verse. This is Mark 7, 24, and I'm going to keep going. It says, Jesus left the place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence a secret. There should be something about our witness to the world, our conviction and our belief in the goodness of God that just makes his name known amongst the world around us. All right, the next one is this. We believe in the potential of people, which we alluded to just a minute ago. 1 Samuel 16, 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look, at the things man looks at, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. John 1, 44 to 48. This is the story that I alluded to before, and kind of Vanessa alluded to it also. She didn't know where I was going to be preaching on this tonight, so I loved hearing that. Coming in the, in the wrap-up where where, she, where Jesus sees Philip while he's still under the tree. And he he calls Philip to himself, and we believe that's a a great picture. It's a a great picture of, of how God sees us where we are, as Vanessa was sharing earlier. He sees us where we are, but he does not define us by the place where we're at. He also sees us for who we're going to become. And as a church, one of the things that we're committed to is we believe in the potential of people. No matter where you are on your journey, that's not the place where you're going to stay. And so we're, we're believing that you have a vision for who your life is going to become. And even if you're not there yet, we're going to find ways to launch you into places of ministry because it's in your involvement that you're going to be changed. That we are absolutely convinced that participation brings transformation and then oftentimes people's journey in churches of personal transformation gets hung up because they have to meet so many so many strong and strict pre-qualifications before they can ever get involved and we're saying no come on we want people to be we're going to take risks with people every person that you see actively involved in ministry of this church is not necessarily someone that we're saying okay follow their example if, if, if they carry the title leader, then that's a, a, a different measure or a different standard we ask of them. Then that needs to be. If, if we're putting them up as a leader in the church, then that is someone that we should be willing to say follow them as they follow Christ. But everybody else, everybody else should be involved. Everybody else should be participating if you call this your home church. And if there's some things in your life that you're just stuck with, that you've been dealing with, and you've been disqualifying yourself from getting... If you've been saying... City Life Church is my home church but but I'm just reluctant to get involved because if you just knew my story. Come on, we're going to say, hey, tell us your story as we move along together, but let's get you involved because it's your involvement that's going to rewrite your story. We believe in the potential of people. And the last one is this, you're part of our manifesto, this idea of old treasures. We believe in the centrality of the church. We believe that that what we're doing together tonight is supposed to continue it, just as it has for 2,000 years. It's supposed to keep happening until Christ returns. Of all the ways that the church has changed, there should be some ways that it doesn't change. That, that there should be, as part of your spiritual journey, a group of people that you call a spiritual family. And it doesn't matter to me whether that church meets in a home or a chapel or a cathedral or a warehouse space like this. That's not what matters to God, not the outward stuff. But there should be some inward things. And you've heard me share this before. I'm going to throw it out there again. It's just our church, as we study Scripture, we find that these are they're all components that, that should be as part of a church. Every entity in the first century that warranted the title church had a specific geographic identity, had a place where they gathered, had a recognizable organizational structure, and identity, identifiable membership, a weekly corporate worship service, the collection and distribution of financial resources and its members actively engaged in ministry according to their giftings and their callings and so as a church we're committed to always being all of those things we've got to have old treasures, we have to have new treasures, we have to be a place of ownership where everybody in the room that calls this home, that it belongs to you that if we were to hand out a T-shirt, that it could say, this is my church, come on, and everybody could have it. And we need to be a house of disciples. I want to throw this list out too, and then we'll talk more about them at the, at the uh, um, at Friday Night life. I'm just telling you, if you're new to this church, you need to be with us next Friday night. If, if you're checking this church out, there's no expectation that you become a member of that church that night. We do that night so people can get to know who we are in this church, and we're going to talk more about some of these things that we're sharing tonight. But these are some other things. We believe in couples doing ministry together. We believe that, that, that churches can be a place where, 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 where husbands and wives end up on, on, on uh, parallel spiritual tracks. It's everywhere, it's the exception for us if husbands and wives aren't serving in ministry together. We want husbands and wives to serve in ministry together. We believe that there's no sealing gender. We're going to have women pastors in our church. We already have women elders in our church. And I know for some of you, that's a difficult thing for you to embrace. And that's okay. Let's sit down and talk about that. Don't walk away because it's different from what you're used to. Come on, let's have a conversation. Let's sit down and talk about why we believe those things as a church. We believe in financial objectivity and full disclosure. Our finance team, that they're not related to anybody in the church. They're not employed by the church. There has to be financial objectivity. Uh, Vanessa and I, we do, we do not look at the giving. If you've been coming here for some amount of time and you're thinking to yourself, I'm surprised the pastor hasn't pulled me aside and thanked me for those checks that I've been writing in the offering. Huh? Because maybe that's what you're used to. I don't look at that. I don't want to know what you give. If you're late for the service, don't try to give me your check to put in the eye. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. We see broader numbers. We track for trends, for planning purposes, but I don't want to see what you give. That's between you and the Lord. Because if you're an owner, come on, then it's never going to be a question. It's never going to be. We're going to be talking about that in this series coming up, about what the Bible has to say about giving in the church. We believe that every ministry should be led by a team of people. We believe as a church that we should be committed to cross-denominational cooperation. We're going to be talking about a lot of these in Friday Night Live, that, that there's things that we're passionate about that we might get to heaven, and God's going to say to us, you know what, you thought you had that right, but you didn't. I'm open to that. Every church should be open to that. There should be churches in this community that are willing to work together and and praise the Lord that there are, especially like uh, Pastor David Ford in Newtown Methodist. He's one of those pastors that attends a monthly gathering in Williamsburg that I've started to attend since we launched the campus there. I go to one here in Newport News. There are churches that are very different here on this peninsula that come together and we say, you know what, we believe in enough to work together. And we as a church, if, if, if you believe that you want to, if you want to find a church that feels like they've got all the answers and everybody else is wrong, you're not going to like it here. Come on. And the last one is this. We believe that God is just as impassioned for the spiritually orphaned as he is for the spiritually lost. Some phrases that are kind of developing for us as a church, there's, there's three. It's the undevoted, it's the disconnected, and it's the discipled. We believe that God cares about all three of those. And so do we want to see people who don't know Christ come to a place of decision for Christ? Absolutely. Come on, you can't call yourself a disciple of Christ and not be passionate for that. But that's not the only group of people in the world that God's passionate about. He's also passionate for the people who have made a decision for Christ but are completely disconnected from the body of Christ, who are completely disconnected from the family of God. Again, oftentimes it's because they've been hurt, because they've been wounded. We are going to relentlessly pursue that population, that demographic of our city. And then this this idea of disciples. God loves you just as much as he loves the disconnected and the undevoted. Those of us who are disciples, those of us who are, are following after Christ, God gets up every day. You're not at the back of the line. You should be in a church that has a big enough breadth of vision to be passionate about reaching the undevoted, the disconnected, and the discipled, and the discipled, that God cares about your journey, about you experiencing the greater depths of eternal life. We want to step into heaven when we breathe our last in over our heads in eternal life. Heaven Honors, Come on, stand with me as we pray. Father, we thank you that you have a house, that you have a place, that you have a church, that Jesus' words 2,000 years ago are, are, are just as piercing as they, today as they were then, that upon this rock I will build my church. Father, we want to be a church like that. We know we're not always going to get it right. We know we're going to make mistakes. Oh, God. But let it be that in those moments where we've misstepped, let it be in those moments where we've turned aside, let it be that that in those moments where we veered off, that, that we're going to have a heart that's just so sensitive to the voice of your Holy Spirit that you're just going to right the ship and you're going to just get us right back along line. If we're going to call this your house, Father, we want it to look like your house. We want it to be your church. We want it to be a place where people are discipled. We want it to be a place where people have a sense of ownership. Oh God, we want it to be a place where we have treasures that are both new and old, new and old. So just before we go, if you can keep your heads bowed for me just for a minute. If you're here tonight and you would say you know what Fred when you were talking earlier about people that have never made a vow of devotion to Christ when you were talking earlier about people that that when they look back into their story they can't find a moment where they said Jesus my life belongs to you if that's you I'm just going to ask you just put your hand up right now just put I'm not going to ask you to do anything else but just put your hand up we just don't want to leave here tonight come on if you're here tonight and you've just